One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is about two unrelated missing person cases from the state of Indiana. The first case I'll be telling you is about a missing person from Indianapolis. It is the curious story of Jason Thomas Ellis, a young black man who vanishes, leaving his friends and family behind with no answers. Fifteen years later, Jason's case is still cold. How does a 20-year-old man seemingly disappear without a trace? Are investigators sure that Jason is only missing? And could a drug ring be the reason why Jason has vanished? The second case is about the sudden disappearance of Karina McClurkin, a beautiful teenager who goes missing in Kokomo, Indiana. Is this young black girl missing, or is she dead? Why do police refuse to talk to the media about her case? And are drugs the reason for her sudden disappearance, or is there more to the story? I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's uncover the mysterious case of Jason Thomas Ellis and Karina McClurkin. Jason Thomas Ellis was born and raised in Merrillville, Indiana, a town just south of Gary, Indiana. He was a 20-something venturing out into the world. Like most young adults, he was eager to start a life of his own, one with freedom, fun, and friends. In 2006, Jason moved from Merrillville to the city of Indianapolis with some of his old high school buddies. But soon, Jason comes to realize the other side of freedom. Like many adults, he would realize that this buzzing world is not always welcoming, or entirely virtuous. In the fall of 2006, Jason moved in with his friends at their apartment in Indianapolis. After a couple of months of exploring his newfound freedom, Jason Ellis seems to have vanished from the face of the earth. He was last seen on December 4, 2006 at his apartment on Willow Tree Lane, apartment C to be exact. According to the Indy Star, Jason's mother, Natrice Billingsley, last spoke to her son the day before. At this point, Police are unsure of the exact date of Jason's disappearance, but they believe his disappearance occurred sometime that weekend. You see, Jason's roommates happened to be out of town the weekend that Jason disappeared. This means Jason must have gone missing the day that his mother called, the 3rd of December, and the day his roommates returned, December 6th. Two weeks later, after his mother doesn't hear from him, Natrice reports him missing to police. You're probably wondering, why did it take two weeks for his mother to file a missing persons report? Well, according to the Indy Star, Jason had a habit of taking off to visit his hometown of Merrillville. So, when his roommates return from their trip, they think nothing of his absence. 
but whatever made Jason Ellis leave his apartment that weekend most likely led to his disappearance. A witness at the apartment complex where Jason lived allegedly saw Jason leave his apartment carrying some of his belongings with him. And like any desperate and worried mother would, Natrice Billingsley starts a search of her own after her son fails to return her calls. She starts with his apartment, and she begins her drive down from Merrillville to Indianapolis. And on her drive down, Natrice claims that she found one of Jason's shirts on the side of the road. When she arrives at her son's apartment, she finds Jason's car parked on the street. Inside of the car are his clothes, but no Jason. If the witness really saw Jason leaving that day, where did he go? Why did he need to take his belongings with him? And why didn't he take his car? I'm sure this moment had to be devastating and even confusing for Natrice. I'm sure she felt heartbroken, realizing that her son was still nowhere to be found. But I'm sure she was also confused. What does all of this mean? Why is Jason's car still parked on the street if he purposefully went missing? After Natrice's startling discoveries, the Indianapolis Metro PD begin to take over the investigation. They begin with Jason's apartment. While searching, detectives find that Jason's comforter is missing. They also notice that his last two paychecks, they were sitting untouched on his debit card. And at the time of his disappearance, Jason's mother had recently wired him some money to fix his radiator in his car. But that seems to be untouched also. These new discoveries undoubtedly confuse Natrice and the IMPD. It seems unlikely that Jason would voluntarily go missing without money. With all the evidence pointing towards foul play, investigators shift their investigation to a possible homicide. However, all trails run cold. Two years later is when Detective Gold takes over the cold case. With the belief that Jason would have found a way to get in touch with his mother had he voluntarily gone missing, Detective Gold begins working on the case. In 2010, the authorities went public. They tell the local media that they suspected Jason was a victim of a homicide. And here are the three possible theories that Detective Gold poses. The first theory is that Jason could have been killed in his apartment, and his body could have been abandoned elsewhere. Remember how the initial investigation team noticed Jason's comforter was missing? Well, Gold suggests that Jason was beaten to death and buried in the comforter. Then, the killer disposed of the body elsewhere. The major issue with this theory, however, is that police never found any evidence of a struggle in his apartment. No blood, and no signs of a fight. The second theory is that Jason could have been swept up in the Northwest Indiana drug trade. The working theory is that Jason was possibly gunned down by the men who were running the trade, perhaps because he was trying to escape the lifestyle. I'm unsure as to how the investigators came to this conclusion. In all of my research, there was no information that hinted that he had been in a gang. However, it is possible that police did not disclose this to the public at the time, because this information may have shown their hand. And the last theory is that Jason was the target of a crime of passion. Gold suggests that Jason could have been attacked at his apartment by a jealous girlfriend from out of town, enraged by the discovery that her boyfriend had been unfaithful. Although, I'm not sure how much credence this theory holds. The case of Jason Thomas Ellis may be looking up when a few anonymous tips come in. These tips were meant to lead investigators to a body. Unfortunately, when Gold and a team of investigators go to Gary, Indiana to search for a body, nothing pans out. But the investigation into Jason's disappearance doesn't stop there. Gold conducts interviews with Jason's family and friends and acquaintances. 
In an interview with Indie Star, Detective Gold recalls the many attempts to track down people who could have been involved. He says, quote, They didn't come to the door, and when they did, they said, I'm going to call my lawyer, end quote. He even conducts interviews with people he considered to be potential suspects. But again, this leads investigators nowhere. And without any evidence or witness statements, Gold says he has nothing left to go on. Years pass, and answers never come for Jason's mother. Natrice was sure that her son was dead, and like any determined mother, she never gave up her search. She kept in touch with Detective Gold constantly, asking for updates, telling him about bodies that were found near Gary in Chicago, each time hoping that this would lead her to some answers, or even closure. But each time a negative identification came back, her hopes were spoiled. Natrice was Jason's number one advocate. However, in 2013, Natrice Billingsley died from a brain hemorrhage, never knowing the fate of her son. And with the little evidence found and those close to Jason refusing to come forward, it is hard to say that we will ever know the fate of Jason. In an interview with the Indy Star, Detective Gold says that the key to solving this case rests on two things, a witness or a body. He stresses that people coming forward could crack this case wide open. And if police were led to a body, what they find could provide many clues and answers about Jason's disappearance. In one of the last conversations with Detective Gold, Natree said that all she wanted was to see her son again. Without any new leads or evidence, the case will only grow colder throughout the years. And without his mother's fervent energy behind this case, it's hard to envision how this case will be solved with the little evidence police have and with no witness cooperation. That's why it is so important that his story is told, that his case is more widely publicized. It's possible that someone out there knows something. Jason Thomas Ellis is a black male. He was 20 years old when he disappeared. At the time of his disappearance, he was 6'1 and around 160 pounds with brown eyes and black hair. He has many tattoos and identifying marks like a tattoo of his mother's name, Natrice, on his chest, the cartoon characters of Scooby and Scrappy-Doo on his left arm, a tattoo of a maple leaf and his name Jason on his right arm, and he also has a friendship tooth and piercings in both ears. Jason Thomas Ellis disappeared on December 3rd, 2006. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jason Ellis, please contact the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department at 317-413-7440. Karina McClurklin lived with her mother in Kokomo, Indiana. She was like any other teenage girl, exploring the world and building relationships, finding her footing as a young adult. Although she was a growing teen, she was still close with her family, particularly her siblings, her grandfather, and her grandmother, Jerry. According to her grandmother, whenever she would drop Karina off somewhere, they would be seen holding hands. They were so close that whenever they would see each other after long periods of time apart, they would cry during their goodbyes. Although the relationships in her life seemed strong, there was a rough patch for Karina for a while. According to an NBC News article, Karina was struggling with substance abuse issues. Jerry, her grandmother, noticed that Karina began hanging out with an older crowd, and she became worried about Karina's future. In that same article, Jerry says, quote, I told her not to go down that path, that there were other, bigger things that she could do with her life. She had her whole life ahead of her, end quote. And it seems that she took this advice to heart, 
Karina spoke about the possibility of going to a rehab center in Florida for her substance abuse issues. She even began filling out the paperwork, but then she suddenly disappeared. Karina McClurkin disappeared on October 11, 2016. According to the Indiana Missing Report, she was last seen walking on South Washington Street. Two days later, Karina was reported missing. As soon as her disappearance is reported to police, rumors and speculation start to fly. The rumors are chilling and even horrifying. Some of the stories that were floating around included Karina being killed and buried in a tarp and placed in a wooded area. Another rumor was that Karina's body was thrown in a waterway to cover up the crime. And because of these rumors, her family wrestles with the idea that Karina could have potentially been murdered. Karina's grandmother insists that if Karina was alive, she would have reached out to her siblings or her mother. At the start of the investigation, police suspect that Karina was picked up in her mom's house by friends on the day of her disappearance. However, the investigation seems to stall early on. In all of my research, I couldn't find much information about the process of finding Karina. I couldn't even find any interviews with police that disclosed the possible theories for her disappearance. According to Jerry, no one even knows that Karina is missing. She blames this on the conduct of the Kokomo Police Department. She alleges that the KPD are not invested in solving this case. She says that they won't even release Karina's name and description to the public, or call in the state police and FBI. When cadaver dogs are eventually sent out to look for Karina's body, nothing turns up. At this point, Karina's family is forced to investigate for themselves. Jerry begins her search for Karina. She travels to the edge of Howard County and searches through many woods and as many bodies of water that she can. She even asks farmers to search their land, local residents to be on the lookout for a body matching Karina's description, and hunters to be on alert for Karina's body abandoned in the woods. In December 2016, police called Karina's father and explained that they found blood in the trunk of a car. They call Karina's parents and ask them for a DNA sample to compare with the blood found in the trunk. Then, almost cryptically, they tell her family that they should start looking for Karina's remains. Jerry claims that the police state that they know who killed Karina. They even tell the family who it is, but they never arrest the suspect. I can't even begin to fathom how confused the family of Karina must feel. What does the blood evidence found in the trunk of this car mean? Is it Karina's blood? Not to mention, why haven't they arrested this person that they claim to be the suspect? Because KPD refuses to talk to the media, it's hard to rationalize or even understand these choices made by the local authorities. In July of 2017, a body that fits the description of Karina was discovered in the Kankakee River in Illinois. However, it turned out not to be the body of Karina after all. Losing hope, and I'm sure losing their strength, Karina's family even hires multiple psychics to help solve the case. And this happens more often than you would think. Many families, when they feel desperate or without answers, they turn to psychics, hoping that any morsel of insight could lead them to closure. It's 2018 when Karina's family hires three private investigators pro bono from neighboring states. They work hard, searching for Karina's body and constructing possible theories for Karina's disappearance. And one theory that they suggest is that Karina was killed in a hotel over a drug dispute. These three investigators believe that the truth about Karina's disappearance lies within the walls of the Howard County Jail. 
In the jail, an inmate claims that she has information on the disappearance of Karina. She alleges that Karina's drug dealer had her killed at a Garden Inn Suites in Kokomo. According to this inmate, Karina stole some drugs from her dealer. Then, the drug dealer paid someone to give Karina a lethal hotshot. A hotshot is considered to be bad drugs or a large dose of drugs. According to the inmate, the killer wrapped Karina's body in a car cover, drove to a pond, and left her body there. And according to a resident who lives near the pond, he remembers seeing police come there, but he says that they never actually searched it. It seems that the only concrete lead that police have is an admission from a man named Gabe Ellis, who claims that he was the last person to see Karina. He says that Karina was in his truck, and when she opened the door, she suddenly fell unconscious, and he placed her back in the car. He also claims that the other woman in the car was the one to take her home. Apparently, Karina's family even begged Ellis for more information, but he only returned a smirk and some insensitive remarks. Gabe Ellis is currently serving time in the Indiana Department of Corrections for an unrelated crime. On Karina's 22nd birthday, KPD finally addressed the media, issuing a press release that reads, quote, Over the past four years, KPD investigators have pursued numerous leads and tips, but the case remains open. This investigation is ongoing, as we still continue to search for Karina McClurkin. KPD investigators believe this investigation can be resolved and ask that if you know something, say something. End quote. While I was researching this case, I realized that the one consistent thread since Karina's disappearance is how motivated her grandmother is to find her granddaughter. Jerry is truly the heartbeat of this search to find Karina. She's frequently standing outside of the Kokomo Police Department demanding justice for Karina, and she talks to the media every chance she can in an attempt to get Karina's name and case out there. Despite disappointments, Karina's family never gives up. James McClurkin, Karina's father, spent several weeks in Kokomo searching for his daughter when she went missing. But as the searches lengthened, he ended up losing jobs, and he had to go back to work eventually so that he could provide for his other children. Jerry wishes that Karina's face was in the media more, and I can't fault her for this. In an interview with Dateline, Jerry says, quote, Because of her race and age and situation, no one seems to care. None of it means that she isn't important. Every person is important, and that includes my granddaughter, end quote. Just because Karina struggled with substance abuse issues doesn't make her less important or less valuable. She deserves justice just as much as anyone else. Karina's family continues the search to this day. Jerry and some volunteers frequently canvas areas around town. If you walk around Kokomo today, you can still see flyers posted, and on social media, supporters post messages using hashtag bring Karina home. When Karina went missing, she was said to be wearing ripped denim jeans, a black cropped top, and brown sandals. Karina is 5'4", weighing 130 pounds with black, curly hair and brown eyes. She has a tattoo on her right forearm. If you have any information on the disappearance of Karina McClurkin, please contact the Kokomo Police Department at 765-457-1105. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Lost Crimes Library, you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the LCL Pod for any podcast updates. Remember, sharing is caring, so make sure to share this podcast and also leave a review. It helps a lot. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes. 
This episode was written and hosted by Nisa Henderson, and it was produced by Channing Tab and Nisa Henderson. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.